0: Hello and welcome to One Brain at a Time. I'm Dr. K. And I'm Dr. J. How are you doing today? I'm
1: doing great. I had a great night's sleep and I am raring to
0: go. (laughs) And we got, we had a double dipper. Yesterday, (laughs) (laughs) twice (laughs) in the ocean. Oh, so good. So we, or actually I had said, I'd like to try a different thing, not talking about the subject before Mm -hmm. we got going. Mm -hmm. And I know you love that idea. (laughs) So let's jump in. I think currently, and just as reference, about three and a half months ago, I had foot surgery and it was pretty intense bone grabs, reconstruction, that kind of thing. And what I've realized through this process is the connection between the brain, physical health, physical pain, all of that kind of stuff. And I thought it might be interesting to explore that a little bit further because how many times do things show up medically or physically that it really has the origin more so in mental health for example about 10 minutes ago i was complaining about my stomach hurting for the last couple of days and when we sat down to discuss it tears came up and it had much more to do with some past hurt stuff and as soon as I talked to you about it, the pain went away. And I'm never at a loss of awe of how that relationship
1: works. Yeah, <clears throat> Dr. Herb Benson um, that started the Benson Henry Institute at Mass General Um stated that 60 to 90% primary care visits per year are due to a stress-induced situation from the beginning. So, you know, when we go to the doctor, we're already past recognizing that stress was the thing that induced it. Um, And what you're actually talking about is the relationship between trauma, that relative helplessness, and the physical body. And so when we feel pain, then that's the alarm system that something's not right. And the foot surgery you had was huge, 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 huge. And so you were in pain probably for the first time in your life, chronically, day in and day out, yeah. for months on time. Yeah. And that's going to encode again through your sensory system. You're picking up that pain, and it's being processed and um, <clears throat> put in the back brain for future data. So that pain part,
0: I was going to ask you this because mm-hmm. you know all, but um, that wiring where the pain registers in the brain. Mm-hmm. Is that the same space
1: in the brain that trauma lives? So <clears throat> there are a couple of things going on. It's the um, pain center for the motor and cellular and structural component. Um, and then we have the trauma center. And the trauma center is specifically set up to forewarn us in the future and to encode the danger of the now so that we don't get into that danger in the future. Then we have the reality of the body being in pain and that's in another part of the brain that's just letting us know that the system is under stress or inflammation so, you know, it's it's a nerve messaging yeah. um, to the brain, and then the brain will release endorphins, which are the morphine-like derivative that our own psychopharmacology will produce to help regulate that pain.
0: Yeah. Well, a couple of things that I think are really interesting as a consumer in the medical world is how huge of an impact the surgery had on my obviously physical emotional mental spiritual or whatever and how there's no follow-up on the doctor side and not I love my doctor he's awesome but it's not just baked into the equation to have somebody following up to make sure that that mental health piece is in play. And I also feel because I had had my shoulder done like 10 or 15 years ago and the impact of that surgery on me versus now, and I don't know if it's because I'm in my 50s, but it's pretty significant. And I thought to myself, this is where the system kind of fails consumers that there isn't more of a protocol I'm not saying that everyone is impacted but I can't imagine that there aren't more people who are impacted.
1: Well as I've said before my PhD is in a field called health psychology which has also been called stress medicine and if you went to Europe or Canada, you would find health psychologists on all medical treatment. It has been slow on the rise here in the United States, and it's a necessary part of the holistic ones when we're talking about um, stress and healing. There's a direct correlation between the two. Yeah. I did have, when I went
0: to physical therapy, their screening mm-hmm asked about mental health, and I said to him, I said, that's pretty progressive that that's a part of, and I think it's every five sessions mm-hmm. they do the screening over again, which I thought that's encouraging.
1: Yeah, I remember, gosh, it was 2010. I had picked up a, um, I was unaware that those five gallon jugs of water, um, were close to 50 pounds, and um, I had never put one in the dispenser. And when I did, unbeknownst to me, I had pulled from my um, C2 all the way down to my um, L3 and 2. Yeah, it was the first time in life that I had ever been in chronic pain, and... I remember going to the um, orthopedic doctor and saying, I'm, my brain health, my mental health is tanking. Like, I'm clear on that. And I asked him, is there anybody that specializes in chronic pain? And his response was, well, I think, you know, probably if you go to one of the larger hospitals, you could find somebody. And in my mind, I'm like, this is what you deal with day in and day out is chronic pain. Um, and he had no resources. He just wanted to give me opiates. And at the time, I was working in an outpatient suboxone clinic um, with folks in recovery from opiate addiction. And I was like, nope. Yeah. Nope. I know. I,
0: I currently work in addiction and... I'm going to say 80% of the origin stories always start with some form of chronic pain, physical pain that led to prescription and so forth, so on.
1: Well, the thing, too, about opiates, as I said earlier, is that the emotional pain center in the brain, we know, um, will be triaged um, by opiates, as well as the pain physically that we're experiencing. And in my time working with folks, I just saw trauma, 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 trauma. And it made sense to me. It made sense why people's brains would be pulled to this, because it was triaging the untreated trauma system.
0: Yeah. It was interesting yesterday, too, because... You and I had gone for a walk. We took my dog for a walk and we were probably a quarter of a mile into the walk and you said, wow, you wouldn't even know that you had surgery. How are you feeling? And I said, it hurts, my foot hurts. And then what did you say?
1: All of a sudden your gait changed. You were doing a perfect stride. I would never have known that you had had extensive foot surgery. But as soon as I said something and brought it up to the conscious level, it was amazing to see how you started to compensate for that foot and your gait became
0: completely different. <laughs> when you reflected that back to me, I'm like, no, I'm not. And I then I got in my head and I'm trying to concentrate to get back into that sink. But it is amazing though again back to that relationship with physical symptoms mental health symptoms that kind of thing and it makes me wonder about other health situations you know a well let me stop there in our field how much are we caught well i know you are but the common therapist who doesn't have that health psychology background, how many are really diving into the physical wellness to see what can be linked? Because I can only speak to the U.S., but you have a pain, you go to the doctor. You're uncomfortable, you go to the doctor. And what's the first line of defense is medication or whatever, which is needed. But it makes me wonder how many conditions or di- medical diagnoses are actually t- what you always bring up, untreated trauma.
1: Yeah, and like I said earlier, um, Dr. Herb Benson, um, God bless him, he passed last year. Um, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I think he was 89. Um, by education, he was a cardiologist. And... Um, so, you know, the Benson Henry Institute is that space for a patient to go to, to really look at the emotional body and to see what alternative interventions can be used. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, the, and I don't know the exact number, it's something like $40 billion a year that people are spending on alternative Um, interventions for their health Mm -hmm. and the way I look at health is that we have this body and stress which creates a level of chemistry in our bloodstream that will activate the fight or flight and over time in that chronic state there's going to be breakdown whether it's the immune system or Inflammation or an organ, there's gonna be something. And it's just eyes wide open that in our culture, we believe that the more stress we have and the more um, multitask oriented we are, the stronger and better that we are. And it's just not true. It just hasn't caught up to us. And, you know, I've shared before that at 50, I went into hypertension crisis. I didn't know what hit me. And what I can say is that was so traumatic to me that just recently I started to get some pain in the back of my head. And my immediate response was to get my blood pressure cuff to see if my blood pressure was up. That's a trauma response because I had a trigger to a physical symptom that has happened to me in the past.
0: Right. It was... uh back when you were talking about her, but I was thinking about uh, the other person who really kind of changed the trajectory of my thinking on this subject, Dr. Janine Fisher. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, She's awesome. Love. But I had seen her at a... Um, she gave a presentation, to, this is probably 20 years ago, and I was a newer clinician, and she was talking about somatic... Mm -hmm. somatic psycho psycho. and she gave a um, example that I have used throughout my career because I just was so fascinated that she had a client come to her I think a 13 I'm just gonna make this stuff up because my memory's not what it used to be but Zaya was a 13 year old girl who one day got up and couldn't walk, like had a foot I believe that just didn't function and had gone through all of the battery of tests, specialists, everything under the sun, I, I wanna say for about a year or two. And somebody suggested booking an appointment with Dr. Fisher and went and within four sessions, And I think her approach was, let's give that uh, foot a voice. And so she took this, who was now probably 14, 15, client and created a whole narrative according to the foot. And what it boiled down to was, I can't take another step. Mm. And at that point, that's when the trauma work started, and subsequently, it found out that there was some significant repressed stuff uh, in the in the client. But I tell you, I heard that, and then, of course, it's what do they call that—the medical student syndrome, where you oh, hear okay. something, and then all of a sudden, you apply yeah, it you to. It. So I'm driving home, and, and I'm like, oh. Given there to and pains, but I will say that I have had migraines my whole life, and ocular migraines and what I realized was that once that sight starts going, I just can't take in the world anymore mm-hmm. and i and it's almost like my body shuts me down yeah. to take a moment because yeah. it takes about an hour for it to pass through. And I thought, oh, my gosh, we're so out of touch with understanding how the physical stuff really is impacted so much by the brain and mental health.
1: Well, and I think, too, you know, um, I've said this before, that working with the military, um, it's called the invisible wound. So if it's invisible and we haven't been educated on trauma, then we don't see it. Yeah. We can deduct that some of our experiences perhaps fall under trauma, but I've heard worse stories, so mine can't be in right. trauma. That's a very common statement that I get from folks is that, you know, <clears throat> I didn't have these horrific things happen to me right. that I know others have had, so I can't have post traumatic stress. And that thought right there is what continues to allow a human to keep on going because of minimizing and not being able to understand the definition of trauma.
0: Well, I, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> I want to cover them all, so in my mind I'm trying to like, bullet point. Bullet point. But I want to say in my own trauma work, how many times I would bring up a family story or a story I've told a hundred times that had no emotion attached to it and actually adopted, oh, it's funny. And having my therapist say, that's not funny. That's not okay by any stretch of the mean and how my brain, as a little one, you know created because no one else was making it seem like it was a bad thing or whatever. But just going back, I want to say real quick about the um, medical interface. Mm-hmm. I wish in a perfect world, talking about holistic care, how many times I've met with clients who have trauma, or anything going on, and I'll ask, have you ever had body work done? And most people are like, what is that? And I'm saying reflexology, massage, anything like that. And most people say, no, I wish that I could refer my clients to get massage, to go to yoga, to do... But all of these things are out of pocket. Right, right. And it's never made sense to me why insurance companies don't pay or cover that. Because I think long term, yeah. it would benefit and be such a a uh, proactive measure in someone's overall health. And it speaks to more of this topic of how medical... Um, You know, I just don't think we have it right
1: all the time. I remember having a soldier come to me and um, his drinking had gone through the roof. And we were just talking and he disclosed to me that he had just been diagnosed with a chronic medical condition that actually could have discharged him. And so we looked at this about trauma that you're young and all of a sudden you have this diagnosis that in worst case scenario will kill you in 30 years. And in that process, it will deteriorate parts of your body. And you didn't invite this diagnosis into your world. It's understanding that all of these things, when they happen, we are blindsided because we didn't okay it and we didn't invite it in. And that's the space where trauma happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. Especially have still in it with recovery with my foot. It's just, I, I can't begin. I mean, you know, because i been talking to you about it but it just really took me off guard how impactful obviously physically but mentally this process has been and like you said being in chronic pain yeah no I hadn't experienced that and I realized if I was ever interrogated any, any bit of pain was applied I'd spill the beans in two
1: seconds Well, from a um, biochemical standpoint, when we're in chronic pain, um, over time, our serotonin levels will lower. And that's what was happening to me. I was dipping into a mild depression. And I could tell, even though that wasn't something that is a common occurrence in my brain, I just could tell that things are, are going south here. And then I, you know, did the research to understand um, biochemically and neurochemically what was going on in my body.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we have to recognize that that impact to a human that has to deal with suffering. And today's topic is on the physical body. Yeah, it's going to impact somebody. And they may not show it outwardly, but they're experiencing it in the silence of their mind and in their body.
0: What about, I just kind of a pivot, but I was thinking about that concept of chronic pain and how I'm mildly obsessed with documentaries on ultra runners, Mm -hmm. people who run 100 mile races, 200 mile races. I, I watch these documentaries, and I just, I'm in awe of them pushing through that pain. And there's one runner who I'm a huge fan of, and she looks forward to it. And in my mind, I'm like, what? Like <laughs> the one who will spill the beans with one, and how... She and a lot of these athletes talk about the pain cave and how they learn how to go into the pain cave. And it's almost like a dissociation, if you will, that they enjoy the pain and, and pushing through it. And I'm
1: like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I haven't watched that. <laughs> you you it. It's not a topic <laughs> that
0: interests me. <laughs> but wait,
1: you know. wait, 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 wait.
0: <laughs> it isn't. Yeah. We were, I just have to share. We were watching the show as Nails last night, which I love. Which is a, a competition show with that guy from Amazing Race Phil, and he puts a bunch of blue collar workers together, and they compete for money and whatnot. And the <laughs> the thing last night was bagging dirt. dirt or something and I turn to you and I go I think I should sign you up for this show and you're like I don't think so um yeah physical physical activity and output is not your jam
1: I don't know really I like to walk um but when we're talking about pushing through the pain um there's there's more going on and it's just in my world teasing it out what is the core motivation in all of this and there could be a couple of things that are going on but on a conscious level it's like i just love this endurance and i love um there's there's something going on yeah um that pushes a human to go beyond yeah um besides you know just winning on whatever Marathon or whatever, <laughs> because honestly science has shown us that um that level of exercise actually impacts the brain in a negative way
0: well, marathon runners yeah. jog
1: the pounding in the well i i mean i i can't i don't know enough about this to speak on it but i just think that when you're using the body you're burning, for lack of a better word, all the nutrients that keeps the body going in a direction. And um, when it's a chronic state of, you know, fleeing, if you will.
0: I think it's um, it's hard because there are just people who are born into this world with uh, ability that not everyone shares. And this woman who's a long distance runner she'll eat McDonald's like she doesn't get into the science of how to refuel and do all this stuff and she's at the top of her game it's hard because somebody would compare themselves and I think she's just a unique individual just like other people but anyways all of that being said there was a documentary watch that was actually in Vermont and it was the 100-miler race and they were interviewing runners and there was a guy, I think, at mile 50 and they said, how's it going or whatever? Why do you do this? And he said, show me an endurance uh, race and I'll, I'll bet half the entries are in recovery
1: yeah that's what i'm saying there's there's a core and each individual is going to have a different core
0: yeah i do love
1: i do love those documentaries
0: (laughs) so that was the first topic i wanted Mm -hmm. to talk about the second one kind of relates a little bit but it's a conversation we had a couple weeks ago where your knickers were in a bunch or your clams were really steamed, as they say. And it's... I know exactly what you're talking
1: about.
0: (laughs) That love Mel Robbins. Love, love, love Mel Robbins. The high five, isn't it? The high five book or something. Yeah, something. Yeah, love that book. But she had said something on her Instagram, and and this is nothing directed to know, because this is in common culture vernacular, but the idea of
1: emotionally eating. So I'll just preface this conversation with that my uh, research for my dissertation title is... um, um, Stress, biochemistry, food, perceptions of primary care physicians working with obesity patients. Um, I've had some people in my life that wrangled with obesity. And I just couldn't understand how they let themselves get to that size. And so growing up in an alternative world, I just knew that there had to be something else going on. And um, so that was my research. And having worked in substance abuse, again, it's recognizing the amount of shame that humans carry. They may not disclose it. They may not be consciously aware of it, but it's there. And we're in a society where, well, the last time I looked, 67% of the American um, population is overweight or obese. I mean, that's a staggering number. And what I realized through my research is that 85% of folks who are wrangling with obesity um, have a trauma history. And having worked with some folks over the last 20 years that are uh, wrangling with obesity, I found that trauma in them. And so when we use the terminology emotional eating, first of all, it um, degrades emotional, that somehow it's a weakness, and then we've got to eat in order to manage our emotions. And what I learned was nutritional chemistry. So we are not eating carrots and celery that put on weight. That's not how we get to a place of being overweight or obese. We're looking at fats, sugars, and carbs. Carbs break down into glucose. And any type of nutritional chemistry we ingest is going to have a biochemical breakdown within our body. And so I call it um, emotional regulation. Whether it's somebody who is dealing with opiate addiction, exercise addiction, and that's that's a whole nother topic of um, shame. But what activated me was the amount of shame that was in this post and this individual was calling out their alleged emotional eating and then the followers started you know joining in about their emotional eating and again that core that's the part that's missing in the medical framework of getting deep, of understanding what is it that drives the brain to crave. And everything we crave has a chemical component to it. Every chemistry is going to fill the gap that has either been depleted or organically where we don't have enough. And food is something like alcohol that we can go into a store and buy. Right. It's not regulated. It's not um, considered illegal because we have to eat in order to survive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it's this thing that when I see people shamed for their body size, because I anybody that I've worked with that is wrangling with their weight, I've never heard them say, I am so psyched to be this weight. So how did they get there? And from my medical slice of the pie and the whole picture is that you've got a dysregulated nervous system. And in that body, um, there's a mild to moderate depression that takes place. And ingesting sugars and carbs that break down to glucose will um, produce serotonin. There's a whole mechanical system to that. But, and our brain is made up of 60% fat. Mm -hmm. And in order to maintain a healthy brain, we have to have fat. But we're not educated about that. And the brain will crave what it needs in order to maintain a certain level of health. And that comes in potato chips or Burger King and fries. Um, You know, there's just a whole array of things. my foster son, I think I mentioned this in the first episode, but my foster son came to me and um, Department of Children Family said, You cannot have cheese in the house. And, and I was like, What? And so I did some research and it was right there that cheese has um, a chemical component called catsomorphine, and the morphine is a morphine-like derivative. So this kid, who's an outgrown man, had a horrific, horrific abuse history. And so unbeknownst to him and everybody else, he was trying to triage that through chiefs because he would get a moment of reprieve. Um, So uh, there were three people in my life and, and my foster son was one, and I had two others that really were the catalyst that brought me to this research and it makes complete sense. And so part of my passion is to push out, well, we had to have a social change component to our research, and mine was to de-shame obesity. Well, I can
0: speak to this from a personal journey because I have seen my brain shift, over the last years of doing trauma work that that compulsion piece mm-hmm. to sugar hasn't been as present and i know i know that the sugar for me was bumping that serotonin you've made a point in the past that i think is so huge that somebody might say emotional eating but we don't say emotional using with heroin or emotional
1: whatever right we don't say oh they're an emotional heroin heroin user or emotional alcohol user i mean it's just the word emotional that has been attached to food and it creates this low vibration and people know what i'm talking about when they put those two words together, emotional eating, there is absolute shame that you can't survive any other way other than eating. And my research brought this into the medical template where it's about your eating, your emotions, or whatever people say, it's about chemistry. And that chemistry is in need because of the body makeup and the untreated trauma. And so people who are thin judge people who are not, and they, again, have aligned it with shame that you're just lazy, you're not disciplined, you're not... And in my research, what I realized that dopamine and serotonin are our two biggest neurochemicals for mood. and When dopamine has over 500 drops, and one of the things that it does is help our muscles. And if we don't have enough dopamine, then our muscles are going to become exhausted. So it makes sense to me why not just the weight that a human is carrying, but there's a lot more going on chemically within that body that is creating the thoughts of, I can't.
0: And also with the chemistry in mind is how many times do you hear people who are like, I'm eating right, I'm exercising and I can't lose weight or the weight's not coming off. And that stress hormone, it, like if you're under stress, your body's in protection and and it's not going to work at the efficient Level of the engine to burn stuff. And so people, <laughs> I, I had a client, I'm like, you're actually working against yourself because you're so stressed out about not losing weight that your body's going into stress response and it's not going to let go of that fat because it's feels like it's under attack.
1: Yeah, for me, um, the person that I think about um, is the trainer from The Biggest Loser who by physical standards was a disciplined eater exercise and yet he was in his 40s and he had a massive heart attack like he was on death's door and yet he was doing everything by cultural standards to maintain health and what he came out of that near death experience was he had never addressed his emotional body and what people have to understand is that the emotional body isn't this intangible it's truly chemistry and so when we're talking about the emotional body we're talking about the chemistry um, dr carolyn Pert um, was a part of my research and her book is molecules of emotion and it really breaks down just how much how we feel um, has to do with the chemistry that's in our body. And so it makes perfect sense that we're going to crave other chemistry. Yeah. Do you know he's
0: a hot yoga instructor now? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I love hot yoga. I just started back this week and talk about chemistry. I, again... I always say to my clients, because it's what I do, and I know you do, using myself as my own science project. And I hadn't been to yoga in, gosh, probably a year because of the pain that my foot had been in prior to surgery and just kind of being a little bit like, oh, I'll go tomorrow, one of those things. And the first class I went to, the night and day difference with my mental state from when I went in to when I came out, I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to get back into this practice because it regulates the chemistry. And obviously because I've been sitting around for three months, not moving, which has been torture.
1: But well, I just want to leave people with that if you've got a pattern online and it carries shame, what you need to understand is that there is something below that that is driving the behavior. And it's understanding that, at least from my professional lens, there's something going on with your brain. Whether there's an undiagnosed traumatic brain injury, whether there's a level of chemistry that needs to be regulated, um, whether there's untreated trauma, there's something going on below the behavior. The behavior is just the symptom. And it doesn't mean that the behavior doesn't cost us, but focusing on reduction of the behavior is not going to... Hmm, I want to use the word cure, but that's not what I'm trying to say. Is not going to rectify... Things Um, And we saw that with the bypass surgery in the 90s, that um, it was something like 80 to 90% of bypass patients uh, became alcoholics because they had to switch their chemistry.
0: Mm. Well, I was going to say, too, with um, education, Mm -hmm. how many conversations have you had just on basic nutrition that... People don't understand the impact of food in the body versus fuel in the body, and how much is coming out about gut health. And how I read something that kind of clicked for my brain that it was saying how, with body intelligence and whatnot, if I put, um, if I eat an apple or I eat whatever organic, whatever's grown and on the earth, <clears throat> excuse me, that my body intelligence, my stomach, everything knows what to do with that. And so it's moving moving through a smooth function of burning fuel and whatnot. When I put <laughs> a twinkie or um, or a fast food burger or something, the body doesn't have knowledge of what that item is and so it it works against it and it has to work extra hard to turn it into fuel. And what was interesting was how many chemicals, like we think about the brain having all these chemicals, but our stomach had the same oh, yeah, chemicals. The yeah. And so if I eat something that is not natural fuel for my system to process, then it can send messages saying we're under attack or we're not whatever. And for whatever reason, that image made sense to me that over a long period of time of putting non-fuel stuff in our system can really impact mental health in a very profound way
1: well and that's where um, people will start to develop inflammation yeah in different parts of their body and it'll manifest it just it's again one of those things that we have to be aware of this trauma system and you know, I'm very well aware of it, and it still catches me today. Yeah. And in my work, you know, I say to the folks that I work with that I wish I had a wand and I could just tap everybody and their trauma history is gone, but that's not a reality. It's about the recovery time, and it's understanding what's going on. It's when we don't understand what's going on that further traumatizes us. And it's just critical to our overall health and well-being to be clear on it and to um, understand why we fire some of the thoughts and have the emotions that we do. Yeah.
0: Well, those were my two topics <laughs> to cover—kind of uh, deep dive into some some things that were on my mind and both super important. And I think also too, as we had talked about with this podcast is trying to cover topics that might be helpful for the general audience to hear. And I think pain management and tuning into yourself and physical pain and maybe doing a little exercise with from Dr. Fisher's vantage point, if you've had a chronic situation, sit with it and give it a voice and see what maybe you hear. Uh, and then as far as weight, emotional eating, all of that, knowing that if this is something that has been a part of your journey, that looking from a
1: different lens. Right. And it's, you know, again, it's just looking at these two topics um, and how we manage them, and how do we manage them without despair and shame? Amen.
0: So, is it time to go jump in the ocean? <laughs> uh, the next time, I'll bring the topic. All right, all right, take care. Bye bye, have a great day. Bye bye.